0: All right, Saul Company, just a heads up, I am quite sick, so you're getting raspy voice tone today. Hopefully that's fine. I checked with Jordan and he said it's great, so if you have problems, you can email him. Anyways, great, my name is Tony, I'm on staff here with Saul Company. Um, I hate being sick for a couple reasons. Let me get situated, I brought my sippy cup as well because Stay hydrated when you're sick, you know? That's what they tell me anyways. Um, I hate being sick for a couple reasons. First of all, yesterday I woke up and the first feeling that I felt was a lower back ache, And I was like, that crap sucks. Ruin your whole day. Can't be positive through do that. Um, I also hate being sick because when I'm sick, I like kind of enjoy my, like, I love my job. And so for me, I was like, okay, Tuesday, Wednesday, I'm gonna work a ton on this sermon, I'm gonna meet with a bunch of dudes, maybe figure out what else we wanna do in salt company. And I was like, hey, that's a great start to my week. But I couldn't do that, I couldn't do that. I was stuck in bed. And the worst part about being sick is that even when I want to work, what I need to do is rest. And in a similar way, I think a lot of us, if we were completely honest with ourselves, have walked into Soul Company tonight spiritually sick. And I think for some of us, if we're gonna be honest, we normally wouldn't come to a place like this or a ministry or a church environment, but you're here now because 2020 maybe hasn't started out the way that you were thought it was gonna start out. Or you've been following Jesus for a while, but February is hitting you like a train And you're honestly just a little bit exhausted. When we are spiritually sick, what we want to do is work, but what we need is rest. And so that's what our week of our Habit Series on. This is week three of our Habit Series here at Salt Company, and we're going to be talking about the idea of rest today. And not just this idea of rest, but the concept of rest as salvation through the theme of Scripture. So that's what I'm really pumped about. And here's the thing, is this idea for me, I just talked to Cole before I came up here. Basically, I've been on a rest kick for like a year now. It's it's kind of a thing, Jordan started going on one and I was like, oh my gosh, you're an idiot, no one wants to rest, and then I started going on one and then all my buddies were like, you're annoying, I'm sorry. Here's the deal, I'm not like historically a very good rester, okay? Yeah, that's a a little bit of an exaggeration. I'm horrible at resting. And and this idea of rest didn't actually become a part of my life until last year, which was my junior year of college. And I didn't start resting because I was like, oh, this is going to be a really good sermon series a year and a half from now. I didn't start resting because I thought it would be like a really holy habit or whatever. I started resting because honestly, when I looked in the mirror, I didn't like the man that I was and I didn't like the man that I was becoming. And so the best way to do inventory of your soul today as we get into this topic of rest is to ask yourself these questions, and I wanna ask them to you. Can you imagine living the way you are now in 30 years? As you imagine that, does that make you happy or does that make you anxious? Are you becoming a person of love joy, and peace? Or are you becoming a virgin of yourself that you don't want to become? Here's the deal, is I just have one big concept today. We clearly don't have screens, so I can't put too much up. there. OK, one big concept today. If you want to take home anything, if you are the note-taking type, write this down, that Jesus is rest. That's it. It's an incredibly simple topic, but one that I think if you actually implemented and worked on with Jesus in your life, it could change you. So let's open up to Matthew 11:28 28 through 30. If you don't have a Bible, we've got some in the back for you. Matthew is like 75% through your Bible. It is the first book in the New Testament. And as we open up there, I just want to give a quick disclaimer, okay? So here at Soul Company, what we normally do is we take a book of the Bible and then we split it up into chunks, or what we would call passages, and then we work through these passages verse by verse. But today, what I want to do is I want to spend the bulk of our time in Matthew, move to Genesis 2, and then end in Hebrews 4, because I want to show you that rest isn't this one-off concept or message that Jesus gave, but this idea of rest is rest as salvation throughout the entire scriptural narrative. So we're going to begin in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Through 30 come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lonely in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light I want to repeat verse 28 come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and i will give you rest in the midst of what we would assume to be an achievement oriented culture where your worth whatever people think you are the coolness your status whatever people assume you are is directly tied in with your achievement and what you can do jesus offers us a really soft invitation of rest And and notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, come to me, and I'll make you really rich or successful. And he doesn't say, come to me, and I'll give you like 21 ways to turn around your life and work on these things. He says, come to me, and I will give you rest. Because when Jesus says that you are coming to him, what he gives you is rest. What he gives you is salvation. Rest is tied directly into salvation. And to understand the rest of Jesus, I want to break down the person of Jesus. Okay, so you can take this one to the bank. This is actually super helpful when you're reading the Bible. The Bible is one book of 66 books, right? Nod. Okay, some of you guys are awake. Great. All right, one book, 66 books. The four Gospels are what are considered historical biographies. The reason why this is important is because when you read a biography, your goal isn't just to read the words of the person that spoke them, Right? That would be the worst biography ever. Basically, what your goal is when you read a biography is you're supposed to learn from what they said, but you're also supposed to learn from who they were. Your goal when you read a biography is to emulate the person the biography is written about. The tendency is when you read the Gospels is just to read the words of Jesus and completely miss out on the person of Jesus. And here's what's true about the person of Jesus is he was the most influential person of all time. Regardless of whether or not you believe in whether or not he was divine, you have to admit that in three years he began this thing called Christianity, which has spanned over two millennia, every continent, and has actually impacted billions of people. He was so incredibly influential, yet when you read the Gospels, you can make a case That he was like not that good at workplace productivity you could you could you really could you could look at his schedule and be like Jesus you could pack more into that thing you know and and honestly when you read the Gospels you read about what he spent his three years doing and you're kind of like okay he hung out with some dudes his disciples were they that high capacity no were they even high character Not really. They were kind of just like scrubs. And he hung out with them all the time, and they barely got better. Like, you're, like, expecting at the beginning his disciples are, like, horrible, and at the end they're, like, superstar apostles. But really, not until you, like, you know, came back to life did they really snap out of their funk. So here's the deal. In his lifetime here on earth, he spent his time doing stuff like hanging out with disciples, whereas if I was Jesus, hypothetically, hypothetically speaking, I'd be like, all right, I got three years. What is that, like 900-something days? Okay, a little bit over 1,000. My math is not that good. Over 1,000 days, I'd be like feeding 5,000 lunch and dinner. You know what I mean? I'd be like, okay, let's just do the math. I can feed a lot of people. A lot of people believe me. That is what I would have done. But he doesn't do that, right? Instead, when you read the Gospels, you see kind of a ridiculous love. And when I first read the Gospels about Jesus, I, I, like, didn't come into faith until I was older, and I, I, I came into college having only read the book of Matthew. And I even remember when reading the book of Matthew how much it stunned me that he was so compassionate in process. One of my favorite stories is when he's, okay, this is just Jesus doing Jesus things, but he's on the way to heal someone else, okay, which If you're Jesus, you're moving pretty fast. You're like, you're hauling to heal that person. And in the middle of that moment, in the middle of that busy street, a woman touches his cloak and she's healed. And what he doesn't do is he doesn't go like, you know what I mean? Like, he's not like, sorry, Rachel's laugh is so loud. He doesn't just like slap her away, but he turns around and he lifts her up out of her brokenness. And he says that, daughter, your faith has made you well. So he doesn't only heal her physically, but he heals her spiritually. He heals her, her, her societal pain that she's dealt with. He, he is literally on motion to somewhere else, and he's still healing people. When you look at the character of Jesus, you see that he was slow, that he actually had enough margin in his life to love people. Here's the deal. It's his vision for greatness was slowness. It was Restfulness. And we're beginning to get an insight into the character of Jesus. That rest wasn't just something he said, but it was interwoven into the very fabric of his being. That's who Jesus was. So we want that, right? If you've been around Christianity for any time, you know, like the classic goal of a Christian is to be more like Jesus. But when you hear that and you hear the slow pace and cadence of Jesus' soul, you know. That, that feels more like a pipe dream than a reality. So why is that? Verse 28, he says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The reason why it feels like a pipe dream is because, honestly, our daily experience is more being labored and heavy laden than it is restful. What we experience on a day-to-day basis, in, it, in and out of what we do, we always, okay, if you ever ask somebody, this is the trick to know whether or not they feel like this. You're like, hey, how are you doing? And they're like, Puh. Pretty busy. I'm like, okay, first of all, relax. You're fine. You're not that Okay, that's what I'm talking about. If you answer the question, how are you doing, with I'm very busy, then you likely have experienced something where you are always constantly wondering if you could just have one more hour in the day, another day of your week, another day in your month. You feel like you're running out of time. And that term that Jesus uses, heavy laden, means burdened by cares, anxiety, stress, And I would say oftentimes for us in this culture, on this campus, by expectations. And I just graduated from the U of M. I'm not like out of the scene. I remember what it felt like to be in Carlson, don't make me mad, this is going to make me mad. Literally, we had professors ask this question, as an icebreaker, what's your name? what are you doing this summer? And I was like, do you guys not know that some people in this, like, I was just like, oh, frustrated. Anyways, the expectation that we had to always have the best internship, to get above the median, all that expectation, we are burdened by And for some of us, I think if you're gonna be completely honest with yourself, you're burdened by your past as well. Some of the failures that you've dealt with, some of the relationships that you've seen move away, you've been burdened by your past, and the expectations of your future. But not only are we burdened by expectation, but we're also burdened by desire. Now, desire in and of itself is not bad. But when desire begins to drive the very vehicle that is your life, you begin to ask yourself questions. And here's the thing, desire can never be truly satisfied. And I read this quote, and I would love to put it on the screen, no screen. I'm going to just read it out twice because I actually think this is one of the most important things to understand about desire in the human condition. In order to actually experience satisfaction of our desires, we'd have to experience everything and be experienced by everything. In order to actually experience satisfaction of our desires, we'd have to experience everything and be, be experienced by everything. And so the tendency is to be incredibly disappointed by our desire. So, guys, when I finished my finals here at the U, my freshman year, I had what I would call a midlife crisis. And that's a joke. You guys, you guys need to level up. I'm sorry. It's 8 p.m. It's not, what, do you, what do you go to bed at, like, 8.15? You're fine. Okay. Here's the deal. So be, yes, be relaxed. Um, here's the deal. I, I finished my finals at the U, and I had the feeling in my soul where I was like, did I really spend a whole year at the U doing gen eds that I don't care about? And my answer was yes, the answer was I 100% did. And so I got out of my last final and I like, was stepping out into Nicollet Mall and I was just like, okay, I just gotta do something fun. Like, I feel like I haven't done something fun for like 34 years. And so I called my buddy, his name's Rocket, that's not his actual name, that's his last name. And I was like, Rocket, how are you doing? You wanna grab dinner? And he's like, dude, I would, but I'm in Maui. I was like, okay, yeah, cool, me too. <laughs> It seems like we're in a similar life stage. And I was like, what do you mean? And he's like, well, did you hear I moved out here? And I was like, no, because I would have left with that, you idiot. Yeah, uh, I moved out here. And I was like, OK. And he's like, well, you know, I was kind of a flight attendant for Sun Country. And we like flew out to Maui. And I was like, wow, this is really nice. And so I never left. And I was like, bro. I was like, yeah, it's like zero degrees outside right now. I don't even understand. It's March, but it's not even spring. OK. And so I was like, OK, yeah, that's cool. Um, that's, that's fun. And he's like, Well, do you want to come out? And I was like, I mean, yeah. <laughs> so I flew out the next morning and I went to Maui. <laughs> and it was awesome. I got there, guys. The first thing we did, no lie, not even exaggerating, we bought a pizza on his moped. Okay, so he picked me up from the airport, room, moped. Maui spirit, everyone drives 10 miles below the speed limit. You can go everywhere in a moped, it's amazing. Got on the bat of his moped, got a pizza, room, room. Went to the beach, took off our shoes told stories on the beach, eating pizza, feet in the sand. Oh my gosh, the only thing I could hear were waves. Whoa. (laughs) Yeah, some of you guys are like, oh my gosh, I need insta that moment, that's fantastic. Okay, here's the deal. My Maui trip was awesome. It was really fun, no lie. Only one problem, one problem. The problem is I was still disappointed. And some of you guys are like, but you just told me about like the dream vacation. Yes, because here's the issue, is I'm still the same in Maui as I am in Minneapolis. Because restlessness and disappointment and desire does not automatically change when you change time zones, but it's actually a problem of your soul. And so I was on the beach in Maui, eating some darn good pizza, and I was still like, you know what? I wish life was different because here's what's true about desire is that it can never actually be satisfied because we were designed for something much better than Maui. And here's the deal, is the OG sin, the original sin was the idea that I could finally find rest in what I do. If I could just do a little bit more, if I could just get that better internship, if I could just make a little bit more money, then my soul will finally be at rest. If I can just get a nicer body, if I can go to Maui once a year, once every six months, if I have enough discretionary income where I can stockpile 10% away into my 401k, then I will finally find rest. But here's what's true about our desire, is that we will always be restless in the pursuit of satisfaction because our desire is infinite, and we are not. And we were designed for an infinite God. Okay, guys, this is a good news talk. So buckle in. It's about to get good. Matthew 11, 29 through 30. 29, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Okay another pro tip. This changed my Bible reading forever, okay? When you come across a word you don't know what it means, Google it. Google it. It will be so helpful for you guys. Some of you guys are looking at me like, that's not that helpful. It will literally change everything because there are words like yoke that you never use. You never use the word yoke. And here's why. It's because it means a wooden cross piece that is fastened over the neck of two animals. So unless you're a cow, you have not used the word yoke in a minute. So here's the deal. Here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, to rest, you need to work, which sounds like a horrible deal. And you're probably sitting here waiting to be like, okay, what's the clinch? No, he's literally saying that. He's saying, to rest, you need to work. Okay, so what is that work? That yoke that he's saying to put on, that yoke that is of Jesus that we put on when we take off the yoke of our culture is to believe That's it. It's to believe and to abide and trust in Jesus that he's done the work. John 6, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. John 15, abide in me. Believe and abide, which is hard because what that means is taking off the yoke of the burden that you've lived with your entire life. And guys, can I just be honest in saying That was probably my biggest roadblock in my way into this thing called Christianity. That my parents moved here hoping for the life that I get to live now. All my life, the narrative script that I believed is, hey, I'm an immigrant. I need to work really, really, really hard and earn every single dollar in my wallet so that I can provide a better life for my kids than I had growing up. The whole reason why my parents sacrificed so much was so that I could live the life that I have now to go to a school like this. And so here's what I'm saying is when I first heard of this exchange, this radical exchange of Jesus taking my brokenness and him giving me his rest, I said, that's just too good to be true. I feel like some of you guys in this room feel weighed down by that. That for some of you, it just sounds too good to be true. So here's the crazy thing about Jesus' offer of radical rest is what he's saying is that rest is not a lifestyle. It's not an achievement, but it's a person. That the reason why Jesus can give you rest is because he himself is rest. All that to say, this is a habit series. So let's talk about habits. Okay, here's the deal. One of the most practical ways I know about entering into his rest is Sabbathing, which is a good old time. So let's open up to Genesis 2, 1 through 2. It's um the second chapter of the entire Bible. So it should be easy to find. Wow, my voice is killing me, guys. That's great. All right. Genesis 2, 1 through 2. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the hosts of them. And on the seventh day, God finished from the work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. Okay. First observation: God rested. Here's my one pushback to all of you that are like, oh my gosh, Tone, I would rest, but I'm so busy. Okay, literally the creator of the world, okay, show me your Google Cal, not as busy as God. Okay, God rested, that's number one. That's not even part of my sermon, I'm just mad. Okay, that was my excuse for the longest time, whatever. God rested, so we know that, but we have to begin to ask the question, why? So I just imagine, when I read the Bible, I just imagine God. And what I'm not imagining God is, oh, he finishes the sixth day. His lower back's a little achy. Honestly, he tweaked his left knee on the third day. And he's just kind of limping into the seventh day. And he's like, wow, I'm just so gassed. Oh, man, it's just so hard creating the world. Like, what, (laughs) never mind. Uh, What I can't imagine God thinking is, man, I am so burnt out, so I have to rest. So I have a better reason for why I think he rested. I think he rested because, one, he made the seventh day holy, and two, because he designed it to be one of pure joy. So here's the deal. Here's what the seventh day was supposed to be like. Is if you've read Genesis 1 and 2... That should have been the entire Bible. Done. Because what that should have been like is that seventh day should have gone on for all eternity. Because when he designed the seventh day, he designed it for creation and creator to be like high-fiving each other. Like, God, that is a sick tree. And that God would be like, yeah. It is a pretty sick tree, and that was the design. The design was one of pure joy, and here's the deal. Here's why I can prove this to you. It's because when you look at the human condition, condition, we can see something pretty clearly. Is if you give someone the vision for their life, and this is what you tell them, straight up. You are a human being that was made to exist to procreate, to create more organisms so they can exist and repopulate the earth, and that is the all of your purpose, how many human beings do you know that would be like, wow, honestly, I needed that. Like, I really needed a break. Like, that's so helpful. I have such a high vision for my life now. I can't, no, no. We were created to live, and on the seventh day, we were supposed to live, and it was supposed to be awesome, and we were never supposed to experience pain, and I'm telling you that it would have been like pizza on the beach in Maui, but like a billion times better, and we were never supposed to experience sin, and that's what I'm saying, is we were created to live and to experience God and creation rest. Gosh, I'm getting pumped up, but it was supposed to be so good. Okay. Here's the deal, is I think culture has found ways to rest, but we haven't really found ways to renew. So here's what I mean by that. This was my first Sabbath. It was so bad. Guys, I literally, I threw my keys to Colin, who was my roommate, and he wanted to take this girl out on a date that may or might not be here. I threw my keys to him. They're, They're dating, they're awesome, okay, whatever. I threw my keys to him, and I was like, dude, take my car, I don't need it, I'm Sabbathing. And so I tried this whole Sabbath thing, and here's what I did, no lie. I watched an entire season of Netflix, and I ate an extra large pizza, and I drank no water, and I get dehydrated super quick. So at the end of the day, I had like this numb headache. I think I became one with my couch, and I was so disappointed. I was like, Jordan's an idiot. I cannot believe he made me waste an entire Saturday. Totally didn't work. Okay, that might be resting for some of you, but I can almost guarantee That what culture considers rest, which is sedentary sitting and just laying down, will not actually renew your soul. So here's my deal. is the vision for my Sabbath is this. It's a verse from Subversive Sabbath. It's a book. Sabbath is a scheduled weekly reminder that we are not what we do. Rather, we are who we are loved by. Sabbath is a scheduled weekly reminder that we are not what we do, rather we are who we are loved by. My goal, my entire Sabbath, is not to come out the other side like an extra holy angel, but it's just to remember who I am. So here's what I do on my Sabbath. Don't make me laugh. This makes me so happy. Okay, you can see I'm very excited. Okay. Here's how I designed my Sabbath, okay? I designed it around the principle that John Oberg said, which is we must arrange life so that sin no longer looks good to us. Whoa. Can you imagine if sin was like, ah, oh, like sin's like there, and then you look at it and you're like, eh, like not that good. Like that's, that's how I design my Sabbath. So here's what I do. It's called pleasure stacking. Wow. This is some new stuff. Take it to the bank. Here's what it is. Pleasure stacking is what sociologists ca- call this idea where you stack all the stuff that you love on top of each other so that you make one day special. So you do this thing on your birthday where you like eat really good food and you get gifts and you're like, this is amazing. I can't wait for my birthday. But what if it's your birthday every Saturday? So that's how I do it. I treat myself every Saturday. So I have this thing called uh, pleasure stacking. I like to call it my cornucopia of delight. And so I wake up, don't make me laugh. This is awesome. I'm seriously so pumped about this. Guys, my Sabbath is like 48 hours away. I'm already ready. Okay, Uh, I wake up, and I take this thing called my phone, and I say no, and I toss it aside. I don't look at it until like right before I go to bed, which, by the way, is amazing. It's like taking that IV of brokenness from the world and just be like, out. Okay, I don't look at my phone. I try to like, you know, use my senses when I drive. Um, I don't look at my phone. I watch my caffeine intake six days of the week, but on the seventh day, Starbucks nitro cold brew. If you don't know, you should get in the wig. Okay, Starbucks nitro cold brew. Um, I'll either go on a long walk if it's not Minnesota outside. If it is Minnesota outside, I'll go to the gym and I'll just do a long workout, and I won't worry about it. And people will be like, "Why you been here for like eight hours?" Don't worry about it. Okay, I'll meet people. I'll like catch up with people. I'll be like, "Dude, how are your kids?" And they're like, "What?" And I'm like, "Never mind." Uh, <laughs> wrong guy. I'll, I'll just hang out and I'll try to meet someone. Straight up, I'll try to meet someone I've never met before and in gyms, that's hilarious because no one wants to talk. I want to talk. It's my Sabbath. I'll do that. Um, Something I've been doing recently is I go on these things called vision walks, which I used to call prayer walks, but I noticed that six days out of the week, I'm kind of lame and melancholy. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm so busy. But on the seventh day, I either go walk downtown or I walk around TCF and I just pray that God would do crazy things on this campus in my city. And from that... I started getting on this thing called Loving Your City, and it's been amazing. And one day, I was just handing out hot, like, hand warmers, and I like, got into a port. It was anyways. There's a lot of stuff. But I became addicted to this rhythm of serving on my Sabbath. So there's this place called Union Gospel Mission. It's a men's where, like, women's shelter where they rehab guys, and they serve food to people. And I, so I schedule like, a shift in my Sabbath every Saturday to go serve somewhere, to meet someone that's from a different socioeconomic background, to love our city, and it's not super holy, it's not super crazy, but that's a part of my life. That's a part of my Sabbath. And I do that because I found out that actually serving people is a good life. Jesus was legitimately right. It is way more fun than doing stuff for myself, so I do that. And then I'll go to, like, a restaurant. And I'll, like, actually have a, like, a real conversation with the waiter or waitress. And I'll legit ask them how their day is going, and I'll listen. Because I want to know. And I'll go on walks which is really weird, but I'll just do it, not even for exercise, but just for fun, and I will read my Bible until I get bored of reading my Bible, and then I don't read my Bible, and it's this crazy thing called nothing is spiritual on my Sabbath, because everything is, because when I'm drinking my natural Cobra, I'm literally like, thank you, Jesus, like, seriously, it's so good, and I'm just loving life, and here's what happens when you Sabbath, okay, legit, this is my, this is my week, okay, this is my Sabbath, oh, Jesus, you're so good. Wow, thank you. Thank you for everything I have. (laughs) Sunday, well, I'm just ready to love people. Honestly, I feel like I'm so refreshed from Saturday, I don't even worry about it. Okay, Wednesday, I am so tired. I don't know what happened. I'm exhausted, but wait. Friday, one more day. One more day, and then guess where we're back at? The Sabbath. Okay, the Sabbath becomes the center of your week. And some of you guys are laughing because you're like, dude, why are you so weird about this day? Because I pleasure stack. And literally, no lie, Sabbath becomes a day where I just fall deeper in love with Jesus. And it's changed my life. I started Sabbathing when I was working 50 hours a week and going to full-time school. And it scared the heck out of me. And I started Sabbathing because I was spiritually sick. And I realized that the person I was, was I was so busy. I was that kind of guy that if you, hold, if you held the door open for me, I would walk in that door and maybe thank you. Think, who does that? I was the kind of guy that lived with guys, but I would... Look back on those years of my life, and one of the biggest regrets is not spending more intentional time with those guys because they are some of the best dudes that I know, and I lost out on years with them. Guys like Cole, Trev, Lando, Joe Bosshart, Colin Provart, these guys are some of the best guys that I know, and I lost out on years with them because in college, I was more afraid of my past and actually excited about what Jesus was going to do in my future, and so I was obsessed with working, and I would come home from work, and I would be like, okay, I would sometimes wave at them. Most of the times, I would go from the door, that was our apartment at the venue, great place, right to my bedroom door, and I wouldn't even look at them. That's who I was, and I looked in the mirror, and I said, I'm sick. I am spiritually sick. And Sabbath was when Jesus began to heal me. So don't freak out. My Sabbath is a 24-hour cycle every Saturday, but here's the deal, is life happens, and you can start small. Here's an example Sabbath for you. After church on Sunday, Go get lunch with someone you, like, enjoy spending time with, and then unplug the IV that is your phone for, like, four hours. And maybe during those four hours, open up your Bible, or buy yourself a really nice coffee. It's both. They're both spiritual. It's an amazing time. Do that. Start there, and as you can build into your schedule, build in a couple more hours throughout your week and start to realize that Sabbath is worth it because, honestly... Everyone I know that has begun to deliberately rest has never turned back. It's a good deal. So here's the deal. All that Sabbath stuff is really good and really helpful, but it is not helpful at all if it doesn't point to something bigger. Hebrews 4, 9 through 10. This is where we're going to end today. So then... There remains the Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his." We can't go through the whole of Hebrews 4 right now, but here's what I can tell you in Hebrews 4 is that the writer is building up this case for this idea that Jesus is your Sabbath rest. And he says this thing in verse 9, that there's a Sabbath rest that is remaining for you. The gate is still open. That, that Eden that I talked about, that seventh day where you're like, oh, my gosh, I want that, that rest is still open. And to enter into God's rest is to rest from his works from your works because God has already done it all for you. See, the idea of Hebrews 4 is closing this idea of rest throughout all of Scripture in on itself to show us that the work is finished, that the work to reconcile us to God, the work to exchange the heavy yoke of our sin, that desire, that burden that you feel every single day, that work is exchanged, and all we have to do is believe that the work is is done, that it is finished. Guys, I wasn't sure if I wanted to share this today, but I, I think I do. This this fall was um this fall was probably the hardest fall I've ever experienced. And part of that was because I was stepping into a role on ministry staff, but also part of that was because I've been running essentially at a non-stop pace ever since I like, came out of the womb. And I haven't slowed down enough to process um, some of the things that I had learned. And one of the things that I had learned was that the reason why I never met my grandfather on my mom's side is because he passed away when he was 34 years old from organ failure. And that might not sound um, that unique, but the reason why that happened is because when he was a child, he was tortured and starved, and so his organs never grew up. And I learned this two years ago, but I guess for me, I heard that, and I just tried to justify it to myself, saying, well, Tony, you never knew him. That's from a different time. Like, you know, you, ne- you shouldn't feel so angry, but. I felt pretty angry, and I think the reason why this idea of Jesus being my rest has been so necessary for me to function has been because so many Sabbaths, I would take off my watch, I would take off my phone, I would throw them in my car, and I would just walk the streets of Minneapolis at night. And I'll just begin to pray to God, God, would you just give me peace over this? Because I don't know why, and I will never know why, but I just need you with me right now. And this idea that Jesus is my Sabbath rest gave me so much peace because I realized for maybe the first time as I looked into the bloodshot eyes of Jesus, that when he said in Matthew 11, come to me and I will give you rest. He didn't just promise rest, but he gave me himself on the cross. Come to him and he will give you rest. Let me pray. Yeah, God, we want to be people that rest in your arms. Lord, we don't want to live the life of burdened by our sin, burdened by our expectations, burdened by our sin. We want to live a life of rest in your arms. And Lord, I don't know much about everyone's situations, but I do know that everyone in this room is a little bit spiritually sick. And we're all... Just a little bit broken, so Jesus, would you come into this place? Holy Spirit, would you fill this room? Would you fill up the souls of people who are here tonight? And when they come to you, would you give them rest? Rest for their souls. You name that, I pray.